Welcome, brothers and sisters, to Christchurch, Jerusalem, to our Bible study on the book of Amos. So wherever you're gathering from afar, we've got a lot of different nations present right now. As far as Africa, I've got Americans, Canadians, even the Irish and the Scots have shown up, which is absolutely fantastic. And uh, so we're all brothers and sisters united by the Spirit. And so uh, as you're listening, I pray that uh, you, you feel like a part of our community and uh, that you also get a, a chance to enjoy, not only enjoy the studies, but also reflect on it and put it into practice in your communities so that you can actually affect and, uh, and change the world exactly where you are. And uh, if this is uh, really speaking into your life and if you feel like you are part of our community, then um, please consider going onto the Christchurch website and sending in a donation because that doesn't help me, that helps us. There's a big difference. It doesn't help me, you're helping us as we begin continue to um, share the love of Jesus in Jerusalem with our brothers and sisters, Arab, Jewish, Gypsy, um, and, and many more that, that come, come this way. I've included in the chat, and for those that are listening online, the uh, the summary from last week, which was Amos chapter 3. Now, as is our tradition, we just read it, which gives us a bit of the backstory of what we were, what we were discussing last week, and hopefully sets it up for this week. All right, Amos chapter 3. So Amos is chronologically one of the first of the literary prophets, that is, of those whose preaching was preserved in book form. He himself is not the first prophet. That actually was Abraham. Okay? He was the first person called a prophet. In case the Israelite listeners of Amos don't quite understand the gravity of the prophetic message being delivered to them at Beit El, the oracle of Amos begins to move from a general announcement to now more detailed warnings, which is what we're going to get in the next couple of chapters. And in the end, Unless there is repentance, Israel cannot hope to escape the future destruction. Amos has heard the roar of the lion as he launches himself at his prey. That's from chapter one. The Lord roars from Zion. What has the prophet heard the roar say? Well, the Torah had promoted Israel to be a moral and just society, reflecting God's light to the world. But now that society was warped and it was twisted. The Lord roars a universal truth, a universal truth, if we can hear it. An immoral society will always fall. God is always known through his actions. The sacred history of Israel, and this includes Judah, who at this point is the southern kingdom of the divided monarchy, should provide a clear reference to the character of God. God has walked with his people since the Exodus. God departed Egypt with Israel. He has journeyed with them. He has sustained them. He has defended them. He has provided a good land and he has given them the wisdom of the Torah. He calls them his family. Israel and God have an intimate relationship. God knows his family very well. History is important to God, and his prophets continually remind us of the things that God has done in his creation. God has chosen Israel to fulfill the promise to Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. And this is the calling, 
which was accepted at Sinai, but now Israel has stumbled in bringing the light to the Gentiles. Amos declares that because they are known by God at a personal level, he knows the iniquities of, his, of the people personally, and then God will personally be the one who brings punishment. Now, there are seven rhetorical questions in verses 3 to 6 that express that every effect has a cause. Now, the concept of reaping what is sown is a sound biblical one that resonates in both the Hebrew Bible and in the New Testament. You reap what you sow. The seventh question makes it crystal clear that the coming disaster will come from the hand of the Lord. In verses 7 and 8, God tells us that he reveals his secrets, warnings, and his future deeds to the prophets. Now, if that's true, so why has God not revealed things to the schools of prophets that exist concurrent with Amos? Let's remember, Amos is not a prophet. He's not the son of a prophet. He doesn't come from a lineage of prophets. And at the time, there were schools of prophets. But yet God chooses not to talk through them. So we deduced that these schools have become state-sponsored and suffer from the prevailing political correctness. Ooh, does that sound familiar? Yes. They could no longer recognize the word of the Lord, nor do they have the power to proclaim it. Oh boy, have we, we are still in this state. Prophecy is different from eschatological or apocalyptic literature. That is, the apocalypse is unchangeable. That is, there is nothing anyone can do to avoid the Armageddon of the future. It is going to happen. However, prophecy, on the other hand, is a warning and does not necessarily have to come true if there is a change of behavior, usually repentance, if that's done. Unfortunately, the majority of prophets are ignored, something our modern culture continues to do. Jonah is one of the exceptions in which a society of Gentiles actually heeds, heeds the warning, that is, they repent, without sacrifice, I might add, and their divine punishment is avoided. So we should always remember a prophecy, a true prophecy, is uh, not always what is going to happen. That's apocalyptic. Scripture shows us that it is possible to hear the word of the Lord and change our behavior. So let's pray hard for our modern culture. All right. Okay, brothers and sisters, let's have a look at uh, Amos chapter 4. So open your Bibles, Amos chapter 4. I'll read it uh, for the recording. I'm reading from an ESV. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness, 
that behold, the days are coming to you, and they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks, and you shall go out through the beaches, each one ahead, and you shall be cast into Harmon, declares the Lord. So come to Beit El and transgress, to Gilgal and multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened, to proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, so that so for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and, I, and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. I struck you with blight and mildew and, and, and many of your gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, your, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and they carried away your horses. And I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus is what I will do to you, O Israel. Because I'll, I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. This is the word of the Lord. Wow. Isn't that incredible? There's a lot there. All right. Okay, guys. So based on a literal uh, an initial interpretation. What are the, the two or three things that jump out at you before we begin to have a look at the text? Okay, you can unmute yourselves and begin to have a discussion. Yeah, you know, in, um, in verse 6, I in my part have given you cleanness of teeth in all your times and lack of food in all your settlements, yet you didn't turn back to me. It's like in one part, it's saying, I've given you cleanness and teeth, which I thought would be a positive thing. And the other one's saying, and lack of food, which I thought would be a negative thing. And still, you didn't. I mean, why? That just seems an odd thing. I've given you cleanness and teeth, but you wouldn't turn back to me. Yes, indeed. Does anybody have a different uh, translation for verse six than what, what uh, was just read by Linda? The, the cleanliness of teeth is an expression of saying that uh, you're not going to have food to eat um, because when you don't eat, you, your, feet, your teeth is not going to be stained. Um, for instance, if you have chocolates, then you need to brush because your teeth is, is stained from the chocolate. But now God says that you're going to have cleanliness of teeth in a negative way this time around. 
they have cleaned of ticks, a positive thing. But in this time, I think the prophet is using it in a negative way and in a poetry way also. Um, and connects it to the next sentence that says, um, you're not going to have food. So it's talking about um, no food for them. Excellent. Thanks, Jim, Sean. Great. Okay, a couple of hands raised, and I will honor the hands. So, Michael, Texas, is that true? Yes, sir. Okay. Six times, for you have not returned to me. Six, the number of men. And at the very end of it, the name that is used most in Scripture when God calls him something, calls himself something, the Lord of hosts. I just, I would be quaking. I would uh, fall on my face. How did people not get it? Of course, it's, I know. I mean, I'm the same way. I hear thanks from God and ignore them, but man. No, I, I'm with you. When, when we read some of these texts, we think, oh my gosh, you're absolutely awesome. You want to fall on our face. Um, and, and we might even quake. Uh, and, and I've said this a few times, God is, and we call him Adonai Tsevaot. He is the Lord of heavenly armies, yeah, and, which is powerful, which is immense. And one angel can kill 185,000 Assyrians in one night. So these guys are tough, uh, and yet he doesn't use them very much, um, which is, again, another aspect of his character, his power, but also his control and, uh, and his love. That's interesting. Six times you have not returned to me. So there was this definite call for repentance. Right. So Vida or David, sunny England. Yes, yes, a couple of things I'm noticing in verse four. Come to Bethel and transgress. And at uh, it's, it's, it's as though the Lord is, uh, the prophecy is taking them back to the beginning where they crossed Jordan in the first place at Gilgal. And, and it's, it's saying, you know, come to back to the house of God literally at that point. And uh, uh, the other thing I'm noticing is that for, for me, what this whole thing spells out is there's an expression, I think, in the New Testament, which says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yeah. And I think this expresses it very, very well here. And this, this, is, this is the reality of what that is said. So. Right. And as Andrew from South Africa mentioned in the chat, for those that can't hear, it seems like these are actually a mild form of the plagues that God placed on Egypt and in Pharaoh. So as a uh, now in Egypt, these were God demonstrating who he was and also as an act of redemption. Here, they are a call of God letting people know who he is, but as a call to come back, like come back to me. You're, you're, uh, remember, the kingdom has split. And uh, the mon there are now two kings running around on the land. And, and, and God doesn't send a prophet to say, guys, stop that. Let's all unite. Have you noticed that? No prophet says that. Okay? What really, it's go back to God. Now, there might be another issue on monarchy and who really should be king, but that's actually something separate. The real call has always been and always should be get back into a relationship with the Lord, regardless of what monarch you're living under. All right, Shimshon from Nigeria. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Um, one of the things that really struck me in this is um, verse 12, um, where the prophet says, prepare to meet your God. It's like he had it all with them. <laughs> so there's no escaping of this, just prepare to meet your God. Um, <laughs> it's like, you know, 
um, it, it kind of explained what is the effects of what the cause and effect, which is spoke of in the last chapter, it's actually to bring them back to God. And he says, yet you did not, yet you did not return, yet you did not return, yet you did not return. So now the prophet had it all. He says, prepare to meet your God. It's, it's, uh, it's a very strong word there. And isn't it interesting, Shimshon, they, like God was trying to say, come back to me. And that's actually a positive thing. Come back, come back, come back. And then when you're not ready to come back, prepare to meet your God. And you won't like that meeting. <laughs> you know, it's not going to go well for you. It's almost like um, I remember what, I saw a T-shirt and I wish I had bought it. It simply had a, had a, a, a saying. It said, atheist, wrong. <laughs> you know, one day the atheist actually dies and he wake, opens his eyes and there in front of him is the Lord God. And the first thing that's on his brain is, uh-oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and uh, God's, God's like, yes, you are, son. And there's not much more you can do about it right about now. All right. So, uh, Sandra? Yeah, what I find interesting is that all the things that God uses to bring the people back to him is things that, it's like the everyday things. Now, they are farmers, so there's no rain. But you don't realize that the lack of rain is God speaking to you to say, hey, mm. wake up. You need to come back to me. And how many times in our society, in our lives, really, has God spoken in this way that, you know, it is the thing that you wouldn't take notice. It is like it just happened. It's, you know, the, the, too much rain in the, in the area that caused the flood that flooded my house. You know, it, it's these things. And I'm, I'm thinking, how blind and deaf I am to not hear and not understand what God is, is speaking. Nice. Thanks, Sarah. So, yeah, they couldn't see God working through the common. They couldn't see God working through the normal, the mundane. So much of our life is, is wanting to see God work through a sign or a miracle or a power or a wonder. And yet when he is working through the common, we can't recognize it, both, both actually in the church and also for those that, that, that are not. Now, of course, these people are supposed to be the children of God, so they're supposed to be believers. But that's a really good point, Sandra. God works through the, the, the common, the usual and uh, can we actually see it when he does? Um, no, very good point. All right, guys. Great. Well, let's have a, a, an attack of the text. Let's have a look and, and uh, see if we can continue to not just apply things to our modern world, which is getting very clear, but also to see if we can also modify some parts of our own life. Okay. So um, in verse 1, I'll do the first couple of verses, and I'm going to branch out to some other people. Okay, uh, hear this word. And this is where our uh, prophet begins to really start to insult people. Okay, uh, you cows of Bashan. Now we might miss what he's saying. Okay, but who's he talking to here? Does anyone know? 
The women. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh, I mean, it's really laying it into them. Now, these might be beautiful women. These might be absolutely drop dead gorgeous, thin models, you know, or, you know, if you're coming from Africa, Naomi Campbell. Okay. Um, and, uh, but, and, and, and they've got husbands and they're, they're, they've got, and they're wealthy. And the prophet turns around through the Lord and just insults them, right? You heifers, you fat cows. I mean, if you ever said that to someone today, you'd be up on charges, right? Um, and Bashan, does anyone know where Bashan is? Isn't it the Golan Heights? Yeah, well, kind of. Yes, northeast Golan, stretching over into a little bit of Syria, Jordan. It's... um. It's where the, the tribes of Gad, Menashe, and, uh, and Reuben um, wanted. When they, when they were going to cross into the promised land, uh, two and a half tribes said, wow, this is really good fertile uh, cattle country. And uh, we can grow fantastic cows here. And it, was, it, was a, it would, had become very known as a very fertile cattle country. Today, we would call that, you know, um, uh, Alberta. Okay, um, which is uh, sort of you know northern northern America, where you got some really good you know cows. Um, uh, but yeah, the cows of Bashan, and of course, who was the famous king of Bashan? Og. Yeah, Og. And if you remember from Deuteronomy, he was one of the a giant. He was a descendant of the Rephidim, and. Uh, Moses constantly reminded the people of Israel before they entered the land, we got that guy, right? He was big, he was powerful, and he might have been one of our chief adversaries, and he might have even been semi-divine, having a little bit of angel blood in him. But we got him anyway, and, uh, and now we're growing these, these animals, these luxurious animals. But uh, here they're used in terms of a negative way to describe women, right? the, the, the beautiful women. You, you cows, you've, you've grown fat and lazy and, uh, and, um, and, and haven't, even though they might be beautiful, actually. It's, it's quite a negative term. Uh, on the mountains of Samaria, uh, which is an interesting term that uh, we call Samaria and not by its tribal name. Right? So, so, do you know, the, the tribes of like Samaria is meant to be Ephraim and Issachar. Right and Zebulon, and parts of Manasseh, but instead we actually call it by um, by the usurpers who are there, the Samaritans, who are not the, the, the land of Israel is not named after them. Okay, it is named after tribes. So this is also a dig when you're sitting around talking to Israel, which has not been removed. Right at the moment, we're talking about we're prophesying to a wealthy affluent, military successful, economically secure, politically strong. We've got a, uh, we're talking about a community that is, apart from engaging in horrible immorality and idolatry, uh, physically they're doing well. Um, and, but we're not addressing them by their tribal allotment. We're actually, we're really having a dig at them now. Okay, we're talking about usurpers and, uh, and, and having a go at them in terms of... Um, body size okay uh acknowledging the hands shimshon from nigeria all right thanks uh, Aaron. I, I i view that verse as um 
not um, derogatory to the women um, because in, in ancient time, people, um, beauty was more in the fatted side. In fact, saying the, the cows of Bashan were referring to fatted cows. Mm -hmm. uh, you will see that referred to in the Ezekiel 39 verse 18. Um, it refers to these very fatted cows of Bashan. Um, and also in Psalm, in Psalm 22, verse 12, a Messianic Psalm, David was talking about some people that were attacking him, and they referred to them as, uh, as mighty as the, you know, as big as the um, cows of Bashan. And so it was talking about how beautiful these women are, actually, at least in that time, what they consider Ooh. beauty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in Africa, we still look at fatted. Um, you know, uh, people in the fat um, side as, uh, as beautiful. Um, David was referred to as chubby or rudy in, in some translation, and which is, I mean, it's good looking in that sense. And also, Joseph. Was, awesome. awesome. I love it. Women with meat. I can go there. I'll go to Africa. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yvonne from Brazil is officially <laughs> moving to Africa. And, uh, and and becoming beautiful. oh really you're already wow. you're already beautiful Yvonne don't worry about it uh, yeah yeah we'll, we'll make her more beautiful <laughs> but um so the, the prophet comes there he uses that words to to identify them just like you can identify the the the, the fatted cows from Bashan it was very different from every other cows and everybody likes it and so he used that to identify them and um use it also to begin to make them know that their role of affluence in the society was huge, but they were not using it for the God's glory. They were using it for their selfish reasons. Yeah, and and that's hit by the next the, the rest of the verse. You oppress the poor and crush the needy. When that was when that was not what you're meant to do with your wealth. God is not against wealth. He's not against wealth. Right? Many of the heroes are wealthy, but what are you supposed to do with your wealth? You're supposed to be generous. You're supposed to be kind. You're supposed to take your wealth and, and, and do things like building wells and building hospitals and helping the poor and uh, go out and make as much money as you like. Fantastic. But make sure you turn around and help the people that are right next door. Just to follow up what Shimshon was saying, my translation says, 4 verse 1, listen, you lovely cows of Bashan. Okay, nice. Okay, so I've, all, I've also I've made a note that, because um, like many translations, including Jewish ones, often describe this, this fatness in a negative way, yet ancient cultures, including many African and Asian, Asian cultures as well today, Look at um, large women as beautiful, and there and 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 any anybody uh, also knows that even in the West there are people who are actually quite attracted to uh, women with a bit more meat on them than than the skinny little things that can blow away in the up of a wind. Okay, so uh, so it's interesting that some of our translations head that way, and uh, and say the lovely cow. So that's good. Thanks, uh, Shimshon. Thanks, Joy, for putting that up. All right, so we have uh, the the a Amos is really starting to get a bit more specific now onto some of the the deeds of this nation that we're not looking after the poor and we're not looking after the needy. So God begins to swear, I'm going to do something. 
What does he swear by? He swears by his, his power, swears by his name, swears by his Torah, swears by, what does he swear by? His holiness. Now, what's holiness? I hear you ask. Holiness is your separateness, right? There's holy and then there's not holy. Now, not holy doesn't, doesn't mean sinful, doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's common, right? But that's all that means. So we have things that, are, that we use for every day and there's things that we, we are not. So God swears by his otherness, his separateness. I'm, I'm not like uh, you guys. Michael, hand raised. I once heard, uh, I can't remember where, that holiness is the proper and exact representation of God. Okay, not bad. Um, uh, the first thing that God made holy was what? The Sabbath time. God, God separates separates uh, a day from another day. He calls a people and says, you'll be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, right? You're going to be a holy people. And then in first Peter, he says exactly the same thing. First Peter one, you will be a holy nation. You're going to be holy, separate. That doesn't mean that we are separated and we go live in another place. We live in the world. Okay. It doesn't mean that we're separated and we form our own little people group. No, we're split amongst all the peoples of the world. But we are separated at the same time. We're right where we're supposed to be. We are other. And that's, that's another thing we need to remember. So God is going to swear by his otherness that behold, the days are coming when you'll be taken away. Currently, they're living in luxury. They're surrounded by good fortresses. They've got wealth. They've got lots of taxes. Uh, and it's, it's all going to fall apart. Um, there are people today talking to our culture saying we are in trouble. We have got to fix this up. And who's listening to them? Not many people. The, we, we, we call them crazy the fruitcakes, you know, those, those nuts that are off on the, out there in, uh, in La La Land. Uh, they, they, they really, and we ask them, please stop talking. We are doing exactly. <laughs> What these guys do, we, we, we don't seem to be able to take warnings very well. I wonder what it is about our human condition that we do that. Um, it's something about, about as part of our rebellious nature ever since uh, the fall that we just don't want to hear. But uh, anyway, God is going to take us away. He's going to take you away and um, hooks, fish hooks, and, uh, and you'll be cast out, declares the Lord. And then in verse 4, uh, God says something very interesting. Why don't you come to Beit El and keep sinning? You're like, what? What is this about prophecy? So I'm going to call on my brother Mordecai here. So give us, give us a bit of a, a background, perhaps update, maybe even, yeah, uh, yeah about prophecy in Judaism. It's right. Major. Well, the prophecy in Judaism, the official prophecy, of course, Abraham was called the first prophet. But when the Torah was given at Mount Sinai, as you mentioned at the beginning of this meeting, all of Israel experienced direct prophecy. And they were very, very afraid of it, as many of you would recall. And that revelation was too powerful for them. 
and they requested Moshe, Moses, to serve as an intermediary between them and God. Following, following that model, God sent us other prophets to communicate to him, and he gave them, gave them constructions and messages. And prophecy continued until the beginning of the second temple period, according to traditional Judaism. Since then, we have received God's world with less clarity, says the Rambam. When the glory of God, of course, as it is written in the, in the Tanakh, will be revealed in the future world, all will prophesy young and old. And according to Rashi, there are many levels of prophecies and prophets. There are four levels. A voice from heaven that the prophets usually hear, or the Urim and Turim, Tumim, the second, second level that Moshe used to, uh, and the Holy Spirit. This was the third level that's very common in the Christianity too. Uh, the third level was the Holy Spirit in which a person would find that he experienced expanded and wondrous world would come out of his mouth, speaking about the future events, and his feelings wouldn't be affected at all. He would say words placed in his mouth through the spirit of holiness, and he would not know the source of the, those words. And the fourth level of prophecy is normal prophecy. A person would speak of future events when all of his feelings were numbered. So like he would just speak about it. And people who hear the voice of the prophets are only obligated to heed them, hear them, and follow them if they recognize it as a fit for prophecy, if it's fit to be prophecy. What is it? It should be from God, and that person who claimed to be a prophet should be a solemn character and should be talking about... The second one was Urim and Tumim, that Moshe used it, and then... Uh, well... Again, according to oral tradition and uh, rabbinic Judaism, so, since the destruction of the first temple and the second temple, there have been no prophets in Israel. But in the future, we will have it. Talmud says it's, uh, it's stopped. If we read the Talmud carefully, it is written that the term departed used rather than ceased. So when in truth, prophecy never totally left the world. Rather, it was no longer as commonplace as it had been in the earlier generations. So there are prophets now, most likely prophesying, teachers, preachers, but it's not as higher as, the, as it was in the uh, earlier generations. And uh, so why... There are no more prophets. Why are there no prophets anymore? I mean, prophets, prophets. Well, according to rabbinic Judaism, because we are wicked, but at the same time, we are not that wicked. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, Rabbi Judah, the pious one, he says, we are, it's counterbalanced to idolatry. What does that mean? Let us read. He explains that the spirit of prophecy departed during the second temple and the subsequent exile, which we are still in, Jews, because the passion towards idolatry had ceased in earlier times when the idol worshippers and idol, idolatrous priests were performing 
wondrous feats, if God's prophets, God of Israel's prophets, would not, wouldn't have conjured them with miraculous feats and wonders and signs and miracles, all people would have turned towards idolatry. So however, since idolatry is no longer much of a temptation, there's no longer need for prophets. So why people in the time of Tana did not listen to prophets? Because first they didn't listen to them because they were wicked, first of all. Secondly, they didn't think that what that guy was talking about was fit for prophecy. In fact, what they were doing was right. I mean, when you read Amos chapter 4, actually what they were doing was very contrary to the Torah and the mitzvot given, especially in word 4 and 5, we will, we will go through them. And because of our stiff-neckedness, and the list goes on. But this is the story of prophecy in Judaism. Not everyone says, I am a prophet is a prophet. Not everyone who perform miracles is a prophet, but the one whom God chooses as we read in the book of Amos, there was a school of prophets, but God chose this person. So it's his free will to choose uh, whoever who wants to send. And like not everyone who is pious and righteous and sadic is supposed to be a prophet. So it's all up to God whom to send because prophet basically means a messenger. And of course, God is more than free to choose his messengers i mordecai what uh, the, when as you were talking what struck me the most was when does god need when does god when is prophecy the most needed when it's the most darkest yeah right you know when when the, when people have become astray that's when they need a when they need a prophet and um looking at our world today you know you, you can almost say please lord send a prophet because we we're in trouble um well, it kind of it amazes me the way Rabbi Judah uh, talks about, about idol worshipping and there is no idolatry and it's no longer temptation and no need for profit because at the same time they call Christianity as idol worshippers, right? Yeah, they do. <laughs> I, idolatry. So if we are idol worshippers, let's say in this case, I was talking about this the other day with someone and he told me because God doesn't care about goyim, you know, like that's why there is no profit. But there are Messianic Jews that in this case, there should be a prophet raised among us and come and say, you guys are doing wrong, right? But the, the contrary happens. The Messianic Jews are going and prophesying to other Jews. So just wanted to say uh, yeah, That's an interesting thing you said, Mordecai. I was having a Bible study on Monday, this Monday, with a group of my uh, little rabbi friends. And we were discussing the Torah portion and, and talking. And somehow we got on to the call of Abraham to be a light and a blessing to the nations. And then one of the rabbis stood up and he said, isn't it ironic, brothers, that it actually was the Christians, the Goys, who actually took the light to the nations? And he's like, you know, it, it, it wasn't that we translated the Bible and gave it to a bunch of Gentiles. It was the Gentiles translated the Bible and gave it to a bunch of Gentiles. <laughs> and it was, 
And there's, there was a sort of pause and they're all looking at each other and they looked at me and they say, don't say anything, Aaron, not right now, please. <laughs> All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna honor the hands here. So we have um, Vida or David from London. I was just gonna say, Erin, it was interesting what uh, Mordecai was saying about the rabbinic um, tradition about prophecy, because I was thinking about it. It's, it's fascinating that the Bible says to clearly define if a person is prophesying that the thing should come true, but then there's a warning as well that God says, but even if it does come true and it's contrary to my word, that's a false prophet. So it's not always that easy to define what a true prophet is. But the other thing he said that was really interesting was whether the rabbis don't think we, they're either evil, fully evil or fully good right now. Because as you say, you need that, they need that, we all need that prophecy, especially in the dark times. But it's, to me, it's, it's quite fascinating because there's so many prophets in the, in the Christianity today and so mm -hmm. much is, is such falseness, yeah. such rubbish that is being spoken. And, it, it, and it's, it's upsetting a lot of strong, or strong, I mean, those that are coming to faith and they're new believers, and it's really derailing them. So it, it's, it's we're in a really precarious situation right now. I agree, Vida. Uh, if we have a look at prophecy in the Bible, a lot of it is a warning. Some of it are blessings, some of it are... Uh, some very, very wonderful blessings, but many of them are also warnings. Yet most of our prophets today only prophesy things like revival and uh, it's all, it's all going to go fantastic. It's all going to be wonderful. And you scratch your head and you go, oh my gosh, is there anybody here giving anybody a warning? No, I think, I think we've missed the point. Um, yeah, good, good point. Thanks, Vida. Okay, Teresa and then Shimshon. Thank you, Aaron. I was just going to add when Motti was talking about prophecy from the Second Temple period, and that is that I read, and I think it is from the Mishnah, but Motti probably can correct me if I'm wrong, but that at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, particularly on the Hoshana Rabbah day, um, they, they were expecting uh, uh, the spirit of expecting and hoping for the spirit of prophecy to rise up and that was a big bit of this you know that time at the time of Jesus the celebration of Sukkot so I think that's interesting that's it what is. they were expecting thanks thanks to you there is there should be an expectation of prophecy and as we all remember from the prophet Joel once the spirit of God is poured out what should be one of the gifts we have in our community it should be prophecy. Shimshon from Nigeria. All right, thanks, Aaron. Um, uh, first, we, we, the Bible tells us that we should judge all spirits. And so when we, when we meet people that um, come to claim to be prophets, uh, we judge them by the word of God. And God has given us this word to judge them by. Um, Paul says, if anyone prophesies, let's have two or three come and judge the prophecy. So it's, it's, it's very um, scriptural to judge prophecy and to judge the, 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 kind, the manner of way people prophesy. But when you look at prophecy itself, it's just like, um, I, I don't know, we say it's very difficult to, I think what Vida was saying, it's very difficult to, to identify what kind of prophecy, what is a prophecy. For instance, there is a prophecy in the book of Matthew 
that says um, out of um, so that the scripture will be fulfilled that out of Egypt I called my son. And um, if you if you if you go back to to the to where this prophecy is taken from, it doesn't speak about Jesus. In fact, it was talking about something else. It's very very and so but. The way that the, the New Testament people use the prophecy, they use a prophecy for life. I mean, if somebody's at life worked in a particular way, it becomes a prophecy, just like Abraham, by, because Abraham is a prophet, but we don't see any way where Abraham say, I prophesy by this time tomorrow, you're going to have a limousine. No, he wasn't prophesying that. It was, you know, that's what most of the prophets do these days. They, they prophesy very nice things. You know? <laughs> no one is. But just very nice things. But um, what happened is that Abraham's life is the prophecy. And, you know, so many other things. We have a lot of other prophecies in the Bible that are very accurate to time and everything. But there are different kinds of prophecy when we look at it. But um, just, that's just to speak about the prophecy. But when we look at our text today, verse 4 and verse 5 of that text, I see a lot of sarcasm from the prophet. He was actually um, um, just making jest of the people. Um, we see that with Elijah and the prophet of Baal, you know, telling them, oh, um, call your God. Maybe he's gone to sleep or he's gone on a mission, you know. And um, he was using that same kind of sarcasm to tell them, because remember, in First King, Jeroboam has built a sacred place in Bethel and Dan. And he mentioned Bethel because that's one of their places where they look at his holy. They go there and they perform these um, rituals, they perform their feasts, they give their offerings and their tithes. They say, oh, come, come and do it more and sing more. So he was using some sarcasm, not that he was encouraging them to do what they were doing, but it was more of a sarcasm that he was using. Excellent. I, I, there's a few things I got from that. Prophecy is also a lifestyle. That is, our lives can be prophetic in nature revealing the truth the compassion the mercy as well as the warnings and blessings of god so that's uh that's quite good and your reference to Beit el uh, Beit el really is an interesting place right this is the spot where jacob had his dream this is the spot where jacob gets his name changed so it's a good place and it's a and then jeroboam sets up this these are, well, here in, in, uh, in Amos, he uses the word altars. He actually uses it in plural. So it seems that there was um, sort of lots of uh, places where you could go and worship. Um, and initially, he was probably setting it up to worship God of a fashion. Like it's not that he was creating a let's now worship a different God, but rather let's worship God not there, Jerusalem, but here and then then once you had created a quasi very close parallel religion it was easy to switch it away into idolatry which if we all look at our world today is exactly what happens again you create a gospel very close to the other gospel it's almost exactly true there's a few nuances we're beginning to water it down a little bit. You don't have to be exactly like that. You can be a bit more like this. And then before you know it, you've, you've moved. You've moved away. And it's uh, so unbelievably subtle. So then the prophet says, come to Beit El. 
that which is, means literally the house of God and sin. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a pretty big bold prophet. <laughs> all right, so Kate. Just very briefly, I, I love all this explanation because especially Motti, thank you. I've written all that down. I'll go back and study it a bit. But it seems to me that we only understand, or I do, you only understand prophecy with the benefit of hindsight. And it cannot it can be too late um, before we understand it for, for, to change something. So what we need really with the prophecy is a solution like repent or and, and how we can repent. I think this is why we we try to understand the reason we sacrifice because it seems to be we don't always know the way to make something better you know i can understand i'm trying to understand why people um resort to sacrifice um but sacrifice isn't just about giving something sacrifice is is within us isn't it i'm trying to understand this sure well the word sacrifice and we have to is from the word um, korov, uh, which means to draw close to. The sacrificial system was a way in which humans and God could meet. So it's a good thing. Mm. So it's not, um, and most sacrifices, as we have mentioned so many times, are not for sin, they're for unintentional sin. And at the end of the day, you'll always hear me say, I don't know how many times I'll say it, but I'll say it again. Who likes steak? Now, all the vegetarians are keeping their hands down, but everybody else is sticking their two hands up. Okay. And anyone from Texas is going to tell you, we got some good cow there too. Okay. So if killing a cow for me is good, because I like steak, how can killing a cow for God be bad? Right. So, so now we suddenly realize killing a cow isn't, isn't in and of itself a bad thing. Can't possibly be because we love them. So now we, what really is a sacrifice? It's meant to draw close. But as we remember from the book of Leviticus, the sacrifice wasn't the thing that actually set you free. Remember, after all of the things we did, we, we did prayers and we did rituals and we did all kinds of stuff. The last bit of the sentence, oh, the priest will make atonement. And that so sets up Jesus like you wouldn't believe, right? The high priest, the ultimate priest, the ultimate sin offering, the, 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 the scapegoat that will take away the sins of the world. It's all being, it, it, it's a foreshadow, yes, but it's also a, a really cool way to begin to understand um, uh, the idea of, of uh, drawing close. So Tom says, isn't, isn't it about the blood in sacrificing? And uh, I know, Tom, that you probably haven't been here for a lot of our studies in the past. As, as, and for those that are listening on podcast, um, please go back and have a look at Leviticus. It does say in Leviticus, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That's true. But the majority of sacrifices in Leviticus were actually of grain, in which case there's no blood at all. And grain was just as valuable as a cow. So if you were poor and you didn't have enough money to buy an animal, you were allowed to literally make a muffin and bring it to the Lord. 
because because the real real part of all of the sacrificial system was what your heart write these laws on your heart so even the poorest of the poor can say i don't have anything but i'm going to make a little cake and i'm going to take this cake and i'm going to give it to god i'm going to take my piece off i'm going to put it on the altar i'm going to give a bit to the priest I mean, it's it's absolutely nothing. The, that, that's the priest's wages. He's going to be able to look at it, pop it in his mouth, take two chews, and he's done. Right? He's got nothing. Um, but even though the poor of the poor can still stand before God, and God will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Good to see you. Right, now, there's a guy off to the corner who's having a really good Bible study. I hope you find him. And there's a guy on the other side of the, of the courtyard who's got a really good singing voice. Go sing some praises with him. And there's a girl in the corner who's an absolute smacker of a prophet. Her name's um, uh, uh, was it Hannah uh, from the tribe of Asher, who meets uh, uh, Mary. Yeah, these are they're all there. So anyway, okay, guys, uh, Vida or David from Sunday. It's, it's me, Aaron. Com coming back to the prophecy, uh, it's uh, I think uh, Paul says. Uh, you, out of all the gifts that we are given, desire the spirit of prophecy first, right? Above all. And yet we are told that in, in Revelation that the testimony of Lord Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy, right? And yet we have a prophet called Agabus, right? Who's going to tell uh, Paul, he's going to tie a thing around and he said, if you go into wherever you're going, you're going to be put into captivity, right? So, so yet how can we differentiate this when we say we desire the gift of prophecy? Now, are we desiring to, because everything should relate back to Lord Jesus Christ, right? But how then can you, do, do, you, do you relate Agabus to what we're talking about? Does that make sense? Uh, no, exactly what you're saying. This is a great question. That, and, and because many things in Hebrew are very nuanced, it's not very easy to say, oh, um, I'll just have... Uh, I'll get my one bumper sticker line and we'll all, we'll all know. Uh, the revelation does say that the spirit of prophecy, the testimony of the Lord. So eventually at the end of the day, if there is no prophecy being done that doesn't relate to Jesus, we're in trouble. Okay. Whether that's a repentance back to the Lord, whether that's a glorification of the kingdom of heaven, uh, an advancement of his rulership and reign, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, in yes. Abacus's case, um he comes along and tells paul you know you're going to get if you go into the city you're going to be chained now despite actually getting that prophecy what does paul do completely ignore the prophet <laughs> okay and goes in gets in, imprisoned the next minute we're in rome um yeah so uh you know there's there's some, there's some interesting things going on going on there um we 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 are we are promoted prompted by paul to desire um the gift of prophecy but that's because he's also reflecting on the book of joel where yes. as god pours out his holy spirit upon us then one of the gifts that that spirit gives us is the gift of prophecy which should always be leading us to the lord which should always be giving us warnings when we're and warning our brothers and sisters to repent and turn not just to tell anybody that you're going to you know, get a really nice limousine next week or, or anything mm -hmm. like that, um, or who you're going to marry or not marry or something. The really, it's got to be about the Lord. And, yeah. uh, so, 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 Aaron, the, uh, where is the, the prophets? If, 
pre pre New Testament would actually prophesy and say, "You need to come back to the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord." So what you're saying then is a, a spirit of prophecy these days should also be calling people to repent and come back to the Lord. Yeah. Because it's pointing straight to Lord Jesus in that respect. And there's, so. Yes, and there's very few voices. There's a few. There's a few voices that are doing that. And um, for those that are following um, what's going on in sunny England, which has already happened in America, unfortunately, we're, we're, we're battling for the soul of England with um, who's going to stand up for the truth or not. There's a lot of people that are, that are writing in and uh, making dynamic publications. And um, do you know what? That's going to affect some people. Praise the Lord. Um, and uh, but anyway, thank, God thank you, David. And what David said is really just it, it's put, pulled me back. It's it always leads to the Lord. Prophecy will always lead to the Lord. And that's I was getting I was losing that in all of this. Well, Thanks. let's remember the Spirit of God comes from the Lord. Right. That's, that's what the Holy Spirit is. Right. He is a part of the Living God. This 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 unity. So, of course, he's only going to draw people to himself. He should. Um, and uh, so uh, back to the text. Our sunny, uh, oh, no, wait. London is going to make a comment. Well, I was just going to add one point. If we see this prophecy of Amos being actually relevant to today, as we do, it, you could be speaking, just change some of the, the type names and it could be speaking to us. And, uh, and then we remember that it says uh, judgment begins in the house of the Lord. I think that this is really quite an urgent call in a way to the church. And I'm thinking obviously of the church in, in my country in England, but um, it is a call to the church to get their act together because we're going to be the ones who are going to fall first um, mm -hmm. under God's hand if we don't heed the words. And they are so relevant, aren't they? That, that's what I wanted to add, really. No, those, that's very good. And we've got Sandra there also mentioning from the Brazil, you know, says the same thing. God will heal our land. God will give us a blessing. But there's no actual call for repentance. It's just let's look at the beautiful side of God and all the great things he can do, he can do and not actually think of what actually offends him, um, you know, what actually makes him uncomfortable or to say, Actually, I can't be here if you're doing all these kinds of activities. Um, I remember one of the, the great tragedies in, in the prophetic scriptures is when the spirit of the Lord leaves the temple. And why does he do that? Because of the sin that's around. He says, I actually can't be here. This is my own house and I can't be here. And, um, but then there's also the blessing, he will return. But we need to remember that if we, if we really truly want the Lord to heal our land, we should start... Um, by getting on our knees and saying saying sorry michael sunny texas ivan had something on my heart for a very long time it is what about god what are his rights what are his feelings i mean if i was to walk outside and, and, and behold some terrible terrible thing the worst thing that could happen just one time in my whole life it would affect me for the rest of my life it would be unforgettable Yet our Holy Father beholds his creation just continually and consistently and constantly being defiled and spoiled. I mean, there isn't an acre of land anywhere on earth that hasn't been defiled. And we just go merrily on our way. And, and 
the depths and riches of his mercy and his patience and his loving kindness. And, and yet we just, I, I just keep going on. But what about God? He has to see everything, every yeah. split second of creation. Yeah. And so here he warns the people, come to Bethel and do your transgressions, which they're already doing. Uh, they bring sacrifices. But who are they? What's their, where's their heart really at? They bring tithes, but where's their heart really at? And, and God seems to see all of it, uh, which is both frightening and beautiful at exactly the same time. And then uh, in verses six onwards, you get to these, these six declarations where um, God you know, gives you the challenge and the invitation. Okay? I'm bringing some disaster here to wake you up. There's a, not because I feel like it, because I'm, you know, I'm a cruel God and I'll just you know, smack you around and smile. It's come back. I really want you to be, be a part of me. Remember at the beginning of the book, he calls them, you're my family, right? I've journeyed with you. you know, I know you on an intimate level. I also know what you're not doing and what you are doing inappropriately. So I, I'm, you, he sends these judgments and they are like little plagues and uh that we've seen in egypt but with the desire to to have them back in uh, back to him and unfortunately uh they don't which is rather sad so then imagine how that hurts the lord right you know he he, he chastises and pokes and prods his children and then they ignore him and and uh, for those of us that are parents uh we know what that's like on a human level how much more must that be like on a divine level uh, so, Vida or David? Aaron, I was thinking, we reading all those six statements that God says, I send you, I do this, I do that. As Christians, we're very happy to even accept that God will chastise us. But, to, but as many Christians, you cannot tell them God brings a calamity. God allows that calamity. Today, preachers just they get attacked and, and, and just they, basically everybody comes against them. If you say something that God allows that calamity, it's fine to say, okay, you as an individual, God may chastise you, but don't go further than that. And it's very clear that God says he brings the evil or he brings the good, the curse or the blessings you choose. And even in that calamity, it's always the purpose is for God's outstretched hand. And as that other person said, in the everyday, so how much are we really even noticing? You know, go on, we look at these things, COVID across the world, um, natural disasters everywhere. We know the Bible says in the end times these are going to happen. But also these are God's warnings and trumpets and wake-ups in a sense to, to turn and repent. Oh, that's a, a great word. Um, thank you. How much do we actually notice of any chastisement from the Lord? And uh, in terms of COVID, um, let's be honest, the church didn't do all that well. We bullied everybody. You know? We know whether you took the vaccine or you didn't take the vaccine, you were chastised. There was no mercy. There was no grace in this. There was people, you know, people, I'm not coming to your house ever. Like, oh, my word. You know, what this is, we, we, we failed to love. Okay, and uh, which is um, and uh, and heed and heed the warning of the Lord, which is really really sad. Um, 
we have to also remember that because God is in absolute total control, some calamities, not all of them, remember that uh, a tower fell down on a bunch of builders and Jesus says, got nothing to do with anybody. Um, but, you know, there was a big earthquake in Syria and Turkey. Let's wake up. And, uh, and, and maybe some of the people in those countries saw um, some assistance coming to them from unknown sources. So for some of you who might not know, um, Syria also got smacked by this earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and so Israel built a whole bunch of little uh, tent hospitals on their border yeah. and said, come, we'll take care of you. You know, um, you don't want us to come over to you. So if you can get here, we'll take care of you. And uh, Israel also sent some people to Turkey. So you're... Your enemies reach down through a hole and hold a hand and say, oh, I'm going to help. And so there's a, there's sometimes there's a little bit of light in this as well. There's an opportunity for God to draw people to him himself. But we do need to listen to what God is saying. And that's through nature, through calamity, and also through blessings. We need to make sure that there's both. Um, uh, we're hearing the voice of the Lord in, in both ways. Okay, two hands raised. I'll go with the uh, the lovely lady, Linda. Scotland, what have you got, Linda? Yeah, I've just got, just unused it. Yeah, you know, talking about, about the church and stuff, I'm, I'm finding that more and more, it's all about grace. People are talking about grace. I have constantly have this discussion with somebody in my house group about, she said that, you know, one of the great, so-called so great international speakers keeps going on about grace and how, you know, we Christians walk about with this, burden of sin and we're not meant to have this burden of sin and I said no nobody's under condemnation nobody's meant to have a burden but if you don't understand sin if you don't examine yourself search your heart you're not going to understand what grace is about it's just and then every time we come this comes you know when we're discussing a bible passage about sin she's well yeah but of course we've got grace we come under grace and I said yeah but we still have to look at this and it's it's almost like it's whitewashing everything we have grace so we don't need to look at anything and it's just it's just leading people astray it's lies it's just it's it's deception yeah we want god to bless us but we will we will continue to sin and turn around and say god is gracious he'll ignore what i'm doing but what we hear in the prophets is he doesn't ignore. He doesn't ignore because we're part of his family. We're supposed to be close to him. How can he possibly ignore us? In fact, we don't want God to ignore us. Uh, we actually want him to take care of us and pay attention and be close, if we're really honest, uh, with his angels and his incredible army and his power and his spirit uh, and all of that stuff. Okay, uh, Shimshon, uh, Shimshon, you're up. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's, it's very fascinating. Um, I know the prophets always use um, things that are contemporary to their, their community and their society so that people can resonate well with the message. And in verse 10, it says, I've sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. But remember in Exodus, after the, just after the song of the sea, God tells them that I will not put the, the pestilence, the diseases of the Egyptians upon you because I, mean, I am Adonai Rofeka, I am the Lord I healer. And here you see that I'm going to put the pestilence in that category. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, res- yeah, I mean, I, I, I couldn't just uh, wrap my head around it. It's, uh, it's very strong. 
It is. It is. And could you imagine, like, because God says to Noah, I'm not going to flood the world. I'll not do it anymore. But then you happen to be in a city that's washed away by a tsunami, like 200,000 Japanese people. Like, uh, you said you were going to do this, Lord. <laughs> um, and, 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 and so we have to remember there's the macro level and the, that little bit very personal local local level where god does say wake up and um yeah and here here he's, he's actually quite a, a powerful warning i'm sending i sent among you a pestilence after the manner of egypt but you said you wouldn't boy what did we do to, to to get to get this and sodom and gomorrah you know if you say the word sodom and gomorrah to, to jewish people they know exactly what you're talking about right and you know, it's like those those are those are key phrases, you know. Um, and uh, and then to say, you know, God says, "I did I did some of this to you." Like, well, what were we doing? Think about it, you know. Um, but unfortunately, they didn't, and they continued to not return, which is un unbelievable. And all of this is said in a time of prosperity, like when when. When, when this, the, the internet is on, right? You know, when the internet is on, everybody's on the internet. But turn the power off, now you've got people's attention. Usually, it's they start trying to call people. Why is my internet not on? You know? um, but God can. He can get people's attention. Oh, my Lord, please, Lord, may it, may it be gentle. All right. Uh, Sandra. Yeah, I keep thinking about this, um, all the calamities that happen in, in our society, in different parts of society and different countries and stuff. And I remember um, Leviticus 18, when it says, you know, I'm bringing you to this land. Uh, don't, don't do the sins, don't do the same things that the people that lived here did, because it was for their sins and a lot to do with the sexual immorality, as far as I remember, that the land is vomiting the people out of the land. And I'm thinking, you know, we have all these things with um, um, climate change and, and all the disasters, and how much of it is to do with our own personal sin, collective society, seen that we you know do in our everyday life okay a lot of questions there i think well first of all all sin i think drives away the presence of the lord whether that's personal and in our homes and then also as a community level and as a national level and so obviously the first thing we'll deal with is our home but then we've got to make sure that we're not the only ones dealing with it. We've got to make sure our community is dealing with it too, and then beyond. And uh, and 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 there's there's the Lord saying, "Look, I sent rain on that city, but not another one." Right? There is a, there is the possibility where you can say, "Look, we will honor the Lord," and actually our plants grew, but theirs didn't, and that can actually be a positive witness. But we've got to make sure that we stuff them inside and then also spread it out. Eventually, we affect. The, the whole nation cool tough question 
Helen, which is uh, our sister from Uganda, who's now living in sunny Jerusalem. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit cold. Okay, thank you. Um, for me, I'm looking at verse 13 just to add, well, verse A, he says, who declares to man what his thought is? And I'm like, okay, God, through uh, in all these warnings and all these things that were happening, I mean, God is like, okay, can't they get it that without the, with this one? Uh, I mean, probably, I mean, you know, who can get into the mind of God, really? But God is saying he declares to man what his thought is. It's like he's trying to take us into his mind that, okay, when I made like when when I when I took over the rain and it was I mean there was no food I thought you'd get it you were not getting it uh, when I when 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 your sons were being slaughtered I thought you'd get it you are not getting it I mean it's like he's taking us into his mind but man is not getting it it's the same thing uh, even today uh, many times I mean we can't get it but in this scripture I learned that actually if we are alert, we are able to get to the mind of God because he declares to man what his thought is. I mean, that 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 took me away and I'm like, wow. Thank, Thank you. Thank you very much. There actually is, out of all of these warnings and things, that can be quite positive. There is there are some positive nuances to it that God can uh, uh, reveal his thoughts. Because the what you're mentioning, and we've mentioned it here before, uh, is God warns the nation. He's warning our culture. He's warning our modern day. But we're not listening. And, and, and that's, well, one, that's frightening. But two, what, what, how, how do we speak into our world so that we do listen? Like, uh, and, and, and obviously, the first step is obviously we pray. I get it. And we should. And we will. But we've also got to turn around and do something, too. And, we, and, and, I, and for me, I guess I'm going to be starting with my family and my household and my neighborhood. But, um, and, and because obviously I'm not a politician per se, but um, you know, we can't sit and just sit around and, and do nothing. God is speaking to our world. It's his world. And uh, we, have to, we have to learn to listen and save as many people as we can. Uh, Teresa. And then Rita or David. Yes, a couple of points. First of all, um, I agree. It's got to start with us and it's got to start obviously with our families, but, but also with, um, with the church. But, but also on the wider level, if you think about prophecy given by God, that assumes that you believe that there is a God and therefore you will take notice and won't see it as just another thing. And of course, that is a problem we're up against, certainly outside, well, I'm not, I'm not excluding the Jews here, but outside people who believe in God. So Jewish people, well, more Orthodox Jewish people and, um, and the Christians. I assume most Christians believe in God. One can never make assumptions like this over anybody. But I do think there's a difference there because if you're saying that uh, explaining prophecy and God and what he's saying and we need to listen to this and we need to act as a result that's one thing if you accept that there's a God but if you think this is all rubbish and it's just imagine somebody's imagination etc which we know is said by a lot particularly I think um well the, the, the haves you know that the people who have 
well-educated very often. Certainly I'm talking about over here, I cannot talk. And in my limited area, which is really London, <laughs> um, that's what I think. It, it's, it's much more difficult when you get the intellectual people. They are quite strong against any concepts of God or Bible or anything. Yeah. And I'm not saying, therefore, this will not work. I'm just saying it needs to be thought through carefully. And the only thing I think that we can really do is, is the same as we've heard many times before, be the light, be yeah. the light to the nations or those nations that need to hear the light. That, that's yeah. what I think and, um, we have to do, show do. by our behavior and how we love each other. Yeah, they do come. God is continually wooing his people. But at the same time, we think I'll turn around to our world and go, oh, my, oh my, oh my, my Lord, <laughs> please, Lord, be, be merciful. Uh, David, or is it David? Uh, yes, it's me, Aaron. Aaron, following up on what you've been speaking about, uh, what, what concerns me so much is, is that we so, much, so many times in the West have stopped relying on the fact that the Lord God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yep. His word says the same. And we try, uh, I've seen so many efforts to, to use newfangled ways to, to speak the gospel, to speak his word, instead of relying on the fact that the word speaks for itself. And, uh, and also the fact that we are there to witness the Lord sows and reaps. And uh, we must come back to that place where we speak the simplicity of the gospel, as Paul did it. I mean, I know it's quite complex, but the gospel itself to get it across and let, this, let the Holy Spirit do the work. And, and not try and get up in debates, because the moment we get caught up in debates, especially if you run up to a bunch, a bunch of intellectual or theologians or, or people like that, you're going to run into a whole bunch of uphills. So uh, I, I think because one thing I've noticed about evangelists, I mean, the, the strong evangelists, they don't have a complex message. And the Lord always blesses it, sir. So. Very nice. It's just a thought, yeah. you know, just a thought. Speak, yeah. speak the truth. Speak it simple. Yeah. Speak yeah. it boldly. Speak it lovingly. Yeah. Uh, Andrew puts in the chat, and it's a it's a, an attribution to Al, Albert Einstein. Insanity is when you do the same thing over and over again and keep expecting a different result. Okay. Let's bang my head against a wall and, and and wait until it stops hurting. Okay. That's not going to to work. So God. Do, will, do we expect God to act in a different way than he hasn't done before? Especially when you mentioned he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yet we're into a, a gospel where God is doing a new thing. And this new thing is usually what I want. And he's just going to uh, acquiesce and bless what, what I want, as opposed to any form of obedience. Um, and so we, I think we have to be very careful. And so, yes, there is that element of, unfortunately, insanity in our, our population where we, uh, where we refuse to listen. And I think it's one of those um, messages for the church is, you know, read your Bibles. Yes, I read my Bible. Matthew onwards. No, no, no. Read the whole thing. Okay. Um, you know, that includes reading the voice of the prophets. Read the Torah. Find out what God actually wants. To do with life read the sacred history and find out where we went wrong in the past let's not do it again and uh wisdom literature you know there's a it's, it's you've got to have the whole when we say the whole counsel of god that really does mean genesis to revelation mm -hmm. and uh and uh, and in in all of its glory okay teresa 
I just wanted to correct um, that I wasn't saying that we don't talk, pre talk the word of God. Of course we do to people, but sometimes you can't get anywhere and certainly not, not have debate because debate is, seems to be very unhelpful, you know, intellectual debate. But I was really thinking along the lines of let's, let's do the word. That's yeah. one of the best ways of showing it. Let's do the word. You know, we can talk about it. We can moan about everybody else who's not you know, acting in the right way. And what's God going to say about that? But what about us? Let's let's be the, the light by doing the word, by being by Agreed. being the teaching. As, as everybody will always know, I'm always one to turn around and, and quote the Gospels to say, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Luke Be covered in the dust of our rabbi. <laughs> yes, indeed. That uh, we should just listen to Jesus and then turn around and put it into practice. Because he listened to his father and turned around and put it into practice. He loved unconditionally. He fought back the devil. He healed people. He preached the truth. And he changed the world. And, uh, and then a bunch of disciples went out and did exactly the same thing. And uh, we have to continue with that. All right, guys, thank you very much for wrestling Amos with me and uh, letting Amos speak into our modern world. Thanks, Mordecai, for uh, talking to us about uh, prophecies, particularly in ancient Judaism and also in the modern Judaism. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, be encouraged, and particularly this weekend as you enjoy the Sabbath, if you ever get the opportunity, simple, clear, loving, but bold. There's only one truth. And there's only one God. All right. Keep it up. Oh, Shabbat Shalom, everyone.